I invite you to take your scriptures, turn back to that 2 Corinthians chapter 12 passage we read just a little bit ago. In preparation for this sermon today, I read a fictional account by Stephen Wickstrom, and the title of it is The Rose Who Had No Thorns. It's a fascinating account because it tells about the fall of humanity into sin from the perspective of a rose in the Garden of Eden. The rose, it says, was basking in the sun on that fateful day when it suddenly felt an evil presence in the garden. A shiver went up the stem of the rose and its petals shook in fright. It was the serpent, the devil, who deceived Adam and Eve and he had deceived them into eating the forbidden fruit. And as a result, God placed a curse on Adam and Eve, a curse on the serpent, and a curse on the ground. And the rose felt it. It felt it changing. Its once smooth stem was now being pricked by thorns that were growing out of it. Of course, as a result, The fictional account goes on to say that Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden and the rose wept. It wept because thorns were not only growing on its stem, but as it looked around, thorns were growing on just about everything throughout the Garden of Eden. The rose thought to itself, now I'll be different. Now I am a rose with thorns. Of course, Genesis in our Bibles written by Moses, is the non-fictional account of how thorns really came to be. In Genesis chapter 3, and verses 17 through 19, it reads that God said to Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you. First use of thorns, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. You see, from that moment on in history, throughout the Old Testament and almost completely all throughout the New Testament, thorns became symbols. They became symbols of our depravity, symbols of our sinfulness, symbols that represented our separation from God. And over time and throughout the biblical story, they became, came in different forms. Not just thorny plants like in the garden and the rose. But it also became thorny people. The Canaanites were thorns in the sides of Israel. And all throughout their disobedience and rebellion, when they did, God would rain up, raise up thorny people to make it rough on them, to remind them of their sinfulness and why they were in this situation. In fact, Jesus, during his life ministry, told a parable about the soils. And one of the soils where the seed of the gospel was distributed on was thorny grounds. And the Bible says that the thorns choked it so that it couldn't bear fruit. You see, that's our plight, isn't it? It's thorny plants and thorny people and, of course, thorny hearts, as the parable goes. But see, all of us understand that because we understand the consequences of sin because we ourselves, everyone in this room to some degree or another, has felt thorny pain in one form or another. We've experienced piercing pain of 
physical thorns, painful surgeries, sicknesses, and I look out the auditorium, chronic conditions, crippling arthritis, broken bones, even as Jason's standing up here in a boot today. Not just physical thorns, but relational thorns. Not just broken bones, but broken hearts. The pain of friendships that fell apart. The pain of marriages that didn't make it. Parents who we seemingly could never do enough to please. We've all been there. Emotional thorns. Inside things. Not on our stems, but in our hearts, can I say. Fear of the future. Anxiety of really never quite being good enough. Depression over past failures. Will we ever be able to be something more? Spiritual thorns, of course. Perhaps the worst. The stabs of a besetting sin that we keep being defeated by constantly. And only we know to the depth that it exists. The shame of an uncontrolled tongue that has ruined people and relationships. The dishonor of an explosive anger. And on and on, things that test our character to demonstrate and show us the symbols of our depravity. You have to ask, don't you? With all the thorns that still abound in our world, is there any purpose? Is there any meaning? Is there really any reasons for our pain? Are they just random events? All the things that bring you pain, are they just happenstance? Are they just in your life by chance? Or does your pain have a purpose? Is there a meaning behind it? Well, I think Paul gives us the answer for that in our text today. In our text, a few short verses, there's a little Greek word that's used five times. Not always easy as much to see in the English, but it's the Greek word henna. And I bring it up because it means this, purpose. Five times in four verses, Paul wants to communicate this. In all of his suffering and all of his pain, which is far more than anyone in here will ever have, he has learned this, that there is purpose not just in pain, but every pain and every detail of every pain. He uses that little purpose word in three times in verse 7, once in verse 8, once in verse 9. And he does it so because he wants all of us this morning to learn the lesson that he learned. He wants us to realize that thorns are not random. They're not meaningless. They're purposeful. Even, listen, even when you can't see it, even when you can't feel it, And especially when you can't understand it. So we're going to unpack that. We're going to unpack the purposes of Paul's pains. We're going to get to the thoughts behind the thorns that come in our life today. And see what God is doing in our lives when these things take place. So I want to show you three purposes. Three purposes for your pain. Let's look at them one at a time. Ready? The first one. Thorns are preventative. Thorns are, look at verse 7. It reads, so to keep... Now, there is a bracket in this one little verse. So look at grammatically. The beginning of the verse and the end of the verse is the identical three-word statement in the Greek. So to keep me from... See it? And at the end of verse 7, to keep me from... Here's what Paul wants you to know. When you have thorns, sometimes God uses it for this purpose, to keep you from sin... Paul's life, let me set it up for you, is a life of extremes. 
There's a little word in this text used six times, and it's a little word, hooper, which we get in English, super from. And it always means this, surpassing this, beyond measure, something that is so unbelievably extensive. And he describes it to use in his life two ways. In chapter 11, in verse 23, he says, I have had extensive, surpassing, unusually crazy measure of beatings and troubles. And he mentions and catalogs three different times in 2 Corinthians all the things and all the thorns that he had endured. And they are many and often. And he has had extreme, beyond measure humiliation. But at the same time, he uses the same word, super, to describe his exaltations. He's had the worst lows and the greatest highs. And he wants us to know that that's the pattern of Jesus. And that's important in our text. Here's why. Follow me. Because he uses that same little word, super, to describe some men who were coming around in churches, including the one in Corinth that he had started, and telling them that they were super apostles. Chapter 11, verse 5. Chapter 12, verse 11. See, these guys were calling them super apostles, and they were saying to the people in Corinth that they were superior to Paul. That, yeah, he had some revelations, had done some things, but it was nothing compared to how great they were. Paul looks at them, and he calls them this in verse 13 of chapter 11. False apostles, pseudo-apostles. They're fakes, they're phonies, they're imposters. In fact, he goes so far as to say that they are disguising themselves to be apostles like Satan disguises himself to be an angel of light. See, they're not of God. They're satanic. Why does that matter? Because the reason why he knew they were false was this. It's because they had all the highs, but no lows. Because that's the pattern of Jesus. Suffering before glory. They had all the revelations, quote unquote, they said. But they didn't have any of the pain, none of the suffering, none of the lists, none of the prisons. See, they were supermen who were really just plain old Clark Kent. Paul was the real deal. He was the authentic one. In fact, in our text, right before the ones I read to you, Paul said that if he had to boast, he wouldn't want to, but if he had to, he would tell you that there was a guy 14 years ago in verses 2 and 4 of this chapter that God took him to heaven, the third heaven. See, we live in the first heaven. The stars are the second heaven. And where God is, is the third heaven. I, I listened to a comedian one time who was joking around and said, oh, I wish I was an astronaut because I go to these parties and all these guys tell their great stories. Oh, I own a yacht. It's 100 foot. And I have this and I'm a millionaire and I do this. He said, just once I'd like to top all of them and say, I walked on the moon. He goes, who could say anything to that? Here's what Paul says. You might tell all your stories, apostles, false apostles, but let me tell you one that trumps all of them. I went to heaven. You can't top that. You can't beat it. And Paul says, listen, I have that. But I also have the other side of it. He says, you know what? 
Because there was a test in my life, there was a problem that I might become proud, I might become arrogant, I might think that I was a super apostle. Here's what God did to keep me from it, to prevent pride from taking hold of my life. God did this. He sent a thorn. Can I tell you what thorns are for? Thorns are for fighting pride. Thorns are for keeping you low and humble. Hooperbole, that's the word, surpassing greatness. We, we all know what it takes in our culture for your own personal health, don't we? We all know about preventative care. The older you get, you have to be screened or you have to have a colonoscopy. Terrible things. You get flu shots before the season starts. Vaccinations for COVID so you don't get it so bad, or so they say. Cancer screening. 737 different vitamins you take. And all that, you still have to have an annual physical. And you have to have all these things. Why do we do it? Because we want to prevent the worst things from happening, don't we? Can I tell you, God has a preventative care program for you, spiritually. You know what it's called? Thorn therapy. He likes to take thorns and he designs them for your life. Paul says, I had a thorn and it was given to me. Did you see that in the verse? It was given to me. Commentators call this a divine passive. It means God gave it to him, but Satan was the instrument that was used to do it. In fact, God said it was okay for Paul to be harassed by a demon. You might say, that is extreme, Pastor Walker. Are you telling me that God allowed a demon to harass him? Yes, why? Because it demonstrates how much God cares so much more about your character than your comfort. That's how much he hates pride. That's how much he wants you to be like him. See, God gave it. Satan certainly wouldn't have done it because he wants Paul to be proud. <laughs> he would want Paul to be arrogant and lifted up. But God says, see, I gave you the thorn Satan meant it for evil, to borrow from Joseph's language. But God meant it for good. You know why that matters? You know why it's important that God gave it even though Satan distributed it? Because God is sovereign in your thorns. His preventative care is all by him. See, not only does he give thorns, he governs thorns. He controls them. He controls what happens, when it happens, exactly the kind of thorn that you need in the way that you need it. There are a million, literally, not literally, there is a ton of theories out there about what Paul's thorn was. And it could go, I just bought a book this thick with a new theory this week. There are tons of them out there. It was the super apostles that he couldn't get by. It was the prisons. It was the beating. It was the floggings. It was this. It was that. I look at the context and I'll tell you my view. My view is whatever it was, it was something that made him look weak. He's in Corinth and Corinth is a power culture just like America. And in Corinth, nobody in a shame and honor culture would ever talk about their weaknesses. They would try to hide their weaknesses and they would try to get rid of their weaknesses. And for Paul to minister in Corinth and be respected and honored and listened to as an orator of all people, 
He wouldn't have wanted any weaknesses, but whatever it was, it was a weakness. And it made his job difficult and it hurt. In fact, I believe it was the problem he had in Galatians. It says that he had eye problems. Seemingly, not only did it bar his vision, at the end of Galatians he says, look, I signed it with my own hands. Look how big letters I had to write. In other words, he had a problem seeing. And it probably was a disfigurement of his face. So you know when I'm standing up here to speak, you're looking at me. And imagine if you really couldn't see your audience very well and your face was all messed up and everyone was looking at you when you spoke. See, weakness. Whatever it was, it was a weakness in his flesh. And can I tell you, that's important for us because you know we don't like weakness. We don't like getting older, not having strong legs. and We don't like getting older And all the things that go with it. We don't like all the things that make us look weak. See, but God says, I I need to use those in your life because you don't recognize it, but they're preventative. And so God sends a relational thorn into your life, and I've seen it, to keep you from dating someone and often to keep you from marrying someone that will take you completely away from God. So he sends that relational thorn and breaks that up, but he's preventing from worse tragedy. You see, God sends you an emotional thorn, and you face it, and you fear, and you have trouble, and and you're trouble sleeping, and you know what he wants to do in your life? He wants to prevent you from thinking that you really are totally in control when you're not. So he sends the thorn so you can realize that it's not self-dependence, but God-dependence that you need. And for some, the thorn makes you get on your knees and pray like you hadn't in a long, long time. So he sends the physical thorn and you feel weak. The sudden surgeries, the hospital stays that were unexpected, the chronic back injury that constantly is a struggle. All of it to prevent self-dependence and to promote God-dependence. You see, God has purposes in your pain. God himself sends thorns and uses various instruments to carry them out because they're preventative. But that's the first purpose, but there's another one. See, thorns are not just preventative, they're transformative. And you can see that in verses 8 through 10. See, here's what God does with thorns. He uses them to keep you from something, i.e. pride. But he also uses it to make you into something, namely Jesus. See, what you'll see in this passage and and, and through a lot of Paul's writing was that his greatest goal was, and he mirrored Jesus' life. See, he's in agony and he has a struggle and he has a thorn and he's praying, it says in verse 8, three times, I pleaded, I begged, I asked God. He implored him, would you take this away from me? Does that not sound like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? God had asked him to drink the cup of our suffering. And in his humanity, he asked three times. See, where does he get? That's Paul. Because here's what he knows that thorns are really the biggest purpose is this. To transform us. To make us more like Jesus. But that's not all. Because to be like Jesus, if you turn over a chapter in our book, look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 13. Here's what it means to be like Jesus. Would have been incredibly 
unpopular in Corinth. Since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, probably because of his face. He is not weak in dealing with you, but is powerful among you. Listen, for he was crucified in weakness, but lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we live with him by the power of God. Here's what Paul says. See, that's what he died in weakness. We live in weakness. That's the pattern. The purpose is of that is so that you will glorify God and not boast in your strength but his. See, Superman in the superhero world, he has one weakness and it's his kryptonite, isn't it? But in the spiritual world, if you want to be God's Superman, Paul was. The true thing, the real thing, see, he had not just one, but many weaknesses, many weaknesses. But he had one in particular, and he calls it his thorn. But you see, the difference between Paul Superman and Clark Kent Superman is that Clark Kent shuns his kryptonite. He avoids it. He doesn't tell anybody about it. He doesn't make it public. But Paul's a different kind of Superman. He embraces it. In fact, he does more than that. He takes another countercultural step that no one is... He boasts in it. He brags about it. He talks openly about it. Now see, we all know Superman, and on his chest is what? You can talk in church, it's okay. It's an S. S for... Superman. Now, when I was growing up, I think they might still do it. Maybe it's old-timey stuff. But they used to describe Superman as this. Faster than a... Thank you for being old. More powerful than... Able to leap tall buildings in a... Superman. That's what he does. Right? Change it. Take the S and put a W on there. Weak man. I found I got new things for him. Ready? Slower than my great grandmother. <laughs> Weaker than a battery powered locomotive. Able to leap small children in a single bound. That's not a superhero. Or is it? Nobody wants a hero with W on their chest. <laughs> Who could he possibly deliver? Right? How do you get that, Pastor Walker? How do you build into your life the principle? How do you let God use thorns to transform you so that you can see and you can live in this way that power comes through weakness? Physically, you know how we do it? And I'm not speaking from experience. (laughs) We go to the gym. And it's called resistance training. I looked it up since I know nothing about it. I found out that if you do resistance training, you do lots of wet reps. And so you, take, you do five of this, ten of that, and you work with weights or whatever else it is. And then you have rep maximums. So I, I get up to, oh, this is as much as I possibly can do with this. And then I have, at, one, at the end, I have a max lift. I was talking to Chuck the other day, and I was joking. I go, how much do you bench press? And he goes, well, I used to do 300 and whatever pounds. Now, now I'm down to 240. I go, 
240. I think I might do 40, maybe. But he was telling me how many times he does it, and then one, one time, and he hurt himself one time because he really wanted to max out. But he was up there doing that. And so you max out one time, and, and, and this I read. You do all that because there's a term called the threshold of overload. You're trying to get yourself to get to the very edge of what you can possibly do. See, that's how God works spiritually, too. Do you know that? Read the lists throughout 2 Corinthians, particularly in chapter 11. You see, he had reps, Paul did. Here it is. Flogged five times. Shipwrecked three times. That was a hard rep. Three times he was beaten with rods. Then he had to get maximum reps. And over and over, here's what he says. Dangers from here. Dangers from them. Dangers, dangers, dangers. Over and over he says it. You know why? Because it brought him to this threshold of overload. Have you ever been there? Are you there today? Pastor Walker, you don't understand. The thorns I have in my life. Listen, I'm at overload. Hmm. That's where Paul got to, and he asked God three times, I can't do anymore. I can't do anymore. Because when you're in God's gym, it's strength through weakness, it's resistance, it's practicing it. Here's why. Because what God wants to do as your personal trainer, he wants you to come to this realization that in his gym, it's not your greatness, it's his grace. My grace, verse 9, my grace was the standing answer Every time Paul prayed, the answer was no. You haven't reached the phase of overload. You're not there yet. I know you feel like it and you think it, but you haven't come to the end of my grace. Why? Because my grace never ends. See, in God's gym, resistance training often happens. Five doctor's appointments in a couple weeks, John Mark. Someone I talked to just a couple years ago, three deaths in your family in one month. Imagine. Relationship busts. You date, you date, you date, it comes to no marriage. No cures at the doctors, no relief from the family deaths, no marriage in relationships, job interview after job interview, no employments. Yet God says this, My power is completed in your weakness. Completed. Johnny Erickson Tata, in her book, God Weeps, said this, Deny your weaknesses and you will never realize God's power in your life. Listen to her. At 16, she dove into a lake off a platform and was paralyzed from the neck down now for the last 60 years. She's quadriplegic, she's paralyzed, and here's what she said that means, that every single day of my life since the accident, someone else dresses me, someone else bathes me, someone else feeds me. And she says this, the weaker we feel, the harder we lean. The harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually. God delights, she says, in our weaknesses. See, here's what he says to you this morning. 
and your thorns and your weakness, embrace it. My grace is sufficient. See, his grace is sufficient when your strength is not. And God often, in perhaps in your life this morning, has allowed thorns in your life. Here's why. To bring you to the end of your rope so that all you have to hold on to is Jesus. Why would he do that? Because here's what he's interested in. He wants to display his power so that he gets the glory. So no one would think in a moment it was you. See, here's what God wants. He wants everybody to see through your life a super God, not a super apostle. He wants everyone to see a super Christ, not a super Christian. So he says, here's the purpose of my thorns. They are transformative. I want to take you to a person that shuns and hates and avoids weaknesses, that when I bring them into your life, you not only accept them and embrace them, but you brag about them. And in verse 10, he says, therefore, based on it, I take pleasure in my weaknesses. Not that he was a sadomasochistic person or loved pain. No, but he said, God, whatever it takes in my life for me to be like you, I take pleasure in it. You might be here this morning and say, Pastor Walker, that's a little bit overwhelming, and I'm not sure that I can do any of that. I'm not sure that I can even see that. I'm not sure that I even know anything about that. Perhaps it's because you need the third purpose of thorns. Thorns are not only preventative and thorns are not only transformative, but they are redemptive. Let me finish the poem that I started with. When the Adam and Eve was kicked out of the garden, the rose began to weep. And it says in the little story, I should say, that Jesus comes up to the rose and says, don't weep, it's all part of my plan. The rose was curious, he writes, how would God redeem Adam and Eve from the curse? Here's what he told the rose. I will send my son. He can reverse the curse. The rose said, but how? How will Adam and Eve and a little quieter and roses ever be redeemed? Jesus says, here's how. There'll be another garden someday. There'll be another Adam, a second Adam, who will be by the sweat of his brow, but only this time that sweat will be blood. He will wear your thorns as a crown. And in his weakness, he will remake you. He will make, remake Adam and Eve. He will remake, and he points to, he will remake roses again without thorns. <laughs> Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. It says... Because cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. You know why thorns are redemptive? Because Jesus took our thorns. And what should have been a crown of authority and honor became one of cursing and shame. But he took your thorns. He took my thorns. And he wore them. He took your curse. He took it all. Because he desires and has designed to remake you. 
to be not a rose without thorns, but a person without thorns. He wants to take your sin, and he wants to take its consequences, and he wants to give you victory. And let me tell you this, once you know him, that victory is not only after you die, that victory is now before you die, because Jesus has won. He wore our thorns. He took our curse. And can I tell you this? Before his grace will ever be sufficient for you, before you can ever experience sufficient grace, you must have saving grace. The grace that came when Jesus wore your thorns and took your cross. Because he died and rose again. See, that's how you can do it. That's how it's more than possible that it can be real because he took the curse and your thorns. Do you know him? Do you know and share and live in the victory and the thorns that he wore for you? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, perhaps you're here this morning and you're a believer and you have a set of thorns of your own Certainly your kryptonite. God does not expect you to be Superman like in the comics or in the movies. But a Superman like Paul, a superwoman, who has come to the realization as we follow the Lord Jesus in his steps that power comes through weakness. Oh, not your power. In fact, you might be too strong this morning in and of yourself. His power comes through your weakness. No matter what kind of thorn it is, by his grace, which is enough, it's enough for you. And you're a Christian this morning, and you say, Pastor Walker, I see purposes now in my pain. I see the thoughts behind the thorns. I hadn't before and I haven't responded right. I need help. I need to see my thorns and let God work his purpose in me through them. Pray for me. Would you do that and slip your hand up and I'll do that in a moment when we close. Thank you. Thank you. Balcony, main floor. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Perhaps you're here this morning. Thank you. You're here this morning. You're not even really sure where you stand with the Lord. You're facing your thorns without any grace. Not sufficient grace because there's no saving grace. There's never come the time you recognize that he wore your, thorn of, your crown of thorns. He wore it to take your curse. He died in your place. That's how much he loves you. See, he doesn't want you to die under the curse. He wants to give blessing. And so to do that, he had to take your thorns. Was there anyone at all this morning to say, Pastor Walker, I've never come to realize that Jesus died on the cross in weakness for my sins. That it's his power that overcomes the weaknesses that my sin says, that Romans 5 says, that God, when we were weak, died for us. Pastor, I recognize this morning why he died, why he had to die for my sin, and that his resurrection ensures, 
if I put my faith in him, that I could have that victory over all the thorns. I would like to know him. I'd like to put my faith and trust in him and ask for his forgiveness and salvation. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand as well, and I'll pray for you in a moment with these others. Just put your hand up real quickly and put it back down. I'll see it in just a moment. I'll pray for you as well. Anyone? Father, thank you for Jesus who took the crown of thorns and all that went with it that he might redeem us from the curse. Because of him, we have blessing. I pray for every Christian who raised their hand this morning indicating that they are struggling with their thorns, the pain of it, the difficulty of it. But this morning, you have opened their eyes to the purposes of it. Father, may they embrace it. May they even learn to grow through it to the point where they can boast in it and take pleasure in it. What a change and transformation that would be. May you do it for your glory and their good. And for all those who didn't raise their hand but don't really know you, and they continue to struggle with the pain and the thorns with no grace, no power, only their own. Oh, Father, bring them to weakness. Bring them to the end of their own self-sufficiency, their own self-salvation, that they might turn to the weakness of the cross and to your Son, the Lord Jesus, and find true power for life and for eternity. And we'll thank you for that rich blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.